Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And title is message to the to the Jew first. The Christian is supposed to prioritize Jewish people and getting the gospel to them. But you're supposed to also make sure you're pursuing the lost, no matter who they are, no matter what culture they are, because we are very selective about who we think will listen to the gospel. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 13, look in verse 1. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Notice the names. as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and there's Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now jump down to verse 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Remember that. They go and they seem to always end up in the synagogue of the Jews. Not because they're Jews. Not anymore. They're Christians. They go to the synagogue because they're supposed to go to the Jew first before they talk to the Gentiles. And then they, something happened in verse 5. It says, and they had also John to their minister. So John volunteers and comes along. Look down at verse 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. All right, so at this point, we've got two active churches, one down in Jerusalem, where tens of thousands of believers are just, it's a, it's a beehive of, of uh, daily in the temple. In every house, they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. And there's a second one in Antioch. Uh, mixed with Jews and Gentiles, it is the future of the church is not just going to be one ethnic group. Now, I know that there are, in, especially even in court, there are Nigerian churches. There are churches that are just this type of, of nationality. There are churches that are just, Jesus never designed that. Jesus said, the, uh, uh, you have one master and ye are brethren. You're all family, no matter what race you're from, no matter who you are, where you've been. Um, a church is filled with sinners, okay? And um, uh, as, as uh, these two active churches send out two missionaries. And they've they're, they're got one job as to, to fulfill the Great Commission, which is Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I, I took that a little bit literal. When I got called to preach, I preached to the squirrels for about three months because I couldn't bear fear of standing in front of people but uh trees got the gospel and bushes right but i was preaching to every creature but you're supposed to preach to anything preach to anything that moves now during that as excited as in john mark quits middle of all that he has started so well we're going to actually look at him later on but john mark quits and he's a volunteer he's not actually called to go with paul and barnabas but that's okay barnabas is going to encourage him going to pick him up and get him back in the ministry. And he actually ends up writing the gospel of Mark. So sometimes we think, oh, I quit. It's over. I'm a loser. No, you're not. Not unless you stay quitted. So here goes John Mark. He's leaving. But John and Barnabas, I'm uh, sorry, Paul and Barnabas just kept going. Now in the ministry, I've been at this here in Ireland 28 years. Before that, in, in New Jersey for, for eight years. Uh, folks and, and teaching Sunday school before all that, I've seen volunteers come and go. Uh, I've seen people come to church and leave, but there's just something about knowing God's will and knowing the call of God in your life, knowing where you're supposed to be. And when it's time to be at church, you're there. And when something needs to be done, you do it. You look around and you may be the only one doing it, but there's a burden in your heart. And I pray every one of us have that burden. It's not just on pastor to always be here, always doing this or doing that. That's for all of us. I know People leave. So be it. Jesus said to his own disciples, are you going to go away as well? And Peter says, we ain't going nowhere. You have the words of eternal life. And they stayed with him at least until the cross. He blew a tire there. They come to a place called Antioch Pisidia. Now, just for fun, show these maps. You may not be fascinated by them. I am fascinated by geography. But uh, this is a map. If you can understand, this is the Mediterranean down here. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Syria. Israel's down here. Jerusalem's down here. They've spent now several months in Antioch. They have traveled, once they got called to an island called Cyprus, been to Salamis and Paphos, and now they've headed up, and they're all the way up in what we call modern Turkey, all the way up in Antioch of Pisidia. 
And that's the next place we're going to pick them up as they go on their journey. When I was a kid, we would have, we would go on holiday once every two years or three years. And what did my dad do during, um, during that, uh, during that holiday, he would take pictures of us. Okay. So we never realized the, the background, I think he would take all those pictures and they were usually slides and we get them processed. Remember, does anybody remember sending off your photo, your photo film to get processed? Well, anyway, get the slides back. And then he would call his friends and sit down and and he would go through the trip with his friends. Can you imagine the torture? They were really good friends. All right. Well, we're not actually doing that here, but we are watching a slideshow of events going on in that early church. Why? Why would we spend our time going through this? Because that's our pattern. That's our pattern. This is how we should be moving, on the move, going. Doesn't matter where, we just go. So they come to Antioch of Pisidia, and they enter a Jewish synagogue. Let's look there in verse 14. We're in chapter 13, verse 14. But when they had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. So they're... Paul and Barnabas, when they get into Antioch of Pisidia, they look for an opportunity to preach. And where did they start? They started with the Jew first. Um, they were Now, as I said just a moment ago, Barnabas and Saul are no longer Jewish. And really, I'm no longer really. I may by nationality be American, be Texan, but I am not really American. You know what I am? I am Christian. I am a Christ follower. Doesn't matter where I've been, what skin color I've got, what my qualifications are, or training, or money, you know what I am? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's all I ever want to be. So here they come. They're going, and yes, they're going on the Sabbath. And the question that comes up, why would they go and talk to anybody on the Sabbath? Why would they go and talk to Jews of all people? The Jews had crucified Jesus, right? They rejected him. They had blasphemed his name, spit at him, ripped his flesh off of him. And yet Jesus, look, hold your place here. Oh, really, let me take you to a few scriptures. We'll come back in a moment. John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 10. Guess what people group Jesus came to first when he came? The Jews. John chapter 10 and verse 1. Uh, chapter 1, verses 10. Reverse that. Numerically dyslexic. John 10, 10, 1, 1, 10, <laughs> he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So he's in our world, but verse 11 says, he came unto his own, we'd say his own people, and his own received him not. Go to, uh, go to Matthew 10, go back to the left, find Matthew chapter 10. See, Jesus prioritized the lost sheep of Israel over all other nations. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 5, these 12, his 12 apostles, Matthew 10, 5, these 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles. Did you get that? Don't want you to go and talk to Germans or French or Italians. Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Chapter 15 now. 15 verse 24, 15, 24, still in Matthew 15, 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one, let's keep going with this. Romans, right after the book of Acts is the book of Romans chapter one. Lost sheep of the house of Israel get first dibs on Jesus' teaching and his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul knew who to give the gospel to first. This is 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And watch what Paul says. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that is baptized. All right, it's believing. Now, it could, it could just stop there, and it's fine. The gospel goes to everyone that believes, right? But to the who? To the Jew first, 
and also to the Greek. So right off the bat, Paul knows who to give the gospel to first. And why? What's the big deal? Number one, because God made a promise to Abraham. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. You better, you better thank God for that. God's, God keeping his promise to the Jewish people, as rebellious as they are, and as ungodly as they are, proves that he'll keep his promise to you. If he can break that promise, he'll break the promise to you and to me. So he made a promise to Abraham. He'd always look out for his people, and he would save Abraham's children if they wanted it. But they get first dibs. And Jesus, go to Acts, go back to the left. We're going back and forth, I know, this morning. But you need to hear this because there is such a, a push among Christians now that God is all through with the Jews, and he's not. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus speaking. Acts 1, 8. But ye, talking to his followers, to Christians, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And he says, I want you to be witnesses. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now, what's that next word? Now, he could say, he could have said, I want you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world, and leave Israel behind. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, I want you to be a witness unto me. I want you to testify and soul win and evangelize and preach both at the same time to Jerusalem and also to Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth all at the same time. You never ignore one in order to do another. That's our call. So uh, Psalm 129 gives us a warning. Psalm 129. I have found one of the reasons why we give the gospel to a Jewish, and I've, had, I've read people say, uh, uh, reject the Jews, hate the Jews, ignore the Jews. The Jews uh, don't deserve land. The Jews don't deserve protection. The Jews don't deserve. Anytime you say stuff like that, you better read your Bible. Psalm 129 in verse 5. Psalm 129 in verse 5 says this. Let them all be confounded. Confounded means confused and ruined and turned back that hate Zion. God says, well, this is David praying and David's praying, Lord, anybody that hates your people, let them be turned back and defeated. I'll show you another one. Deuteronomy 7, back at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 15. There's a great promise to the Jewish people, and it was experienced through almost all of history. Deuteronomy 7, 15, the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. I know a lot of people down in other churches think that that is for them. Sorry, doesn't apply to a Gentile. Doesn't apply even to Christians. It applies to the Jews. Watch what it says. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest, uh, thou knowest, upon thee. He won't take the plagues and stuff I put on Egypt. I won't put them on you Jewish people, but I will lay them, those diseases, upon all them that, don't you dare hate a Jew. Now, you don't have to love them. I mean, where you just have to go and give them hugs, but you ought to care about their soul and you ought to give them the gospel first. It ought to be a priority. Some of you have family that are unsaved. And they ought to be a priority to you to give them the gospel, to get them saved. But God said, make sure you have the same care for a Jewish soul like you do your parents. Make them first. Go to chapter 30. Still in Deuteronomy chapter 30. In verse 7. The Lord thy God, Deuteronomy 37, and the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on all them that hate thee, which persecute thee. Uh, you can go through history and I can give you a couple of interesting uh, points about each nation that used to uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, used to have Christians who cared about Israel and they, they, the, uh, the nations um, that used to back and support the, the founding of the refounding of the Jewish nation back in 1948. And when they turned against Israel, 
their economy collapsed. Their nation is, is 13th rate. And you don't mess with Israel. End of story. You pray for them. You give them the gospel. You love them. They're not saved, but they are God's people. And they are to be given the gospel when? First. Say, so I don't know any Jews around here. I met one. They're around. You see, some people just have this attitude, and God's not going to bring you in contact maybe with a Jew when you hate them. Matter of fact, you ought to be afraid because God will put trouble on you when he wants you to love them. If you can't love a Jew, who are you loving when Jesus was a Jew? What is your problem? I know a lot of Christians have that problem, and they make money hating the Jews. They will be cursed, and they will pay for it, either at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment. Go back to Acts chapter 13. Man, love them. I'm glad a woman looked at a, a rebellious teenager coming into a coffee shop late at night on a, a Saturday night, and she didn't look at me and go, he's not worth giving the gospel to. I'm glad she didn't look at me and go, they'll probably reject it. Nope, she pulled out, there were two, me and two of my friends, and she went and pulled out three gospel tracts and gave us what for? Gave us the full dose of the gospel and she'd tell you if she was here today, she'd tell you because she loved people she didn't know. Loved, she actually loved, and, and she did it with, in, in kind, uh, she loved somebody who made fun at her. And I told you, every time that, that she would be nice and show me the gospel and stuff, I would laugh and I'd mock her and say, that's not true, or whatever. And then she would mock me back. See, Texans do that, and we know each other, love each other. But she cared about my soul at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. Amen. You need to try it sometime. Here we come to verse 15, chapter 13, verse 15. They sat down, and uh, as I said, they'd gone to the Jews first, and Paul and Barnabas are invited to speak. Look at verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, Paul, Barnabas, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Would you say something? Now, during a synagogue service, the first 45 minutes is reading about four chapters of, of what's called the law, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And so they read through every year the entire Torah, the law. And they've just finished reading a portion of Genesis or Exodus, videos, wherever they just finished. And then they're looking around going, Has anybody got a message? Anybody got to preach? Uh, Sirs, you look knowledgeable. I don't know how they could tell. Maybe they were talking to him before the service. I don't know. But they said, sirs, could you preach? And believe me, when, Barnabas, when Paul heard that, what did, Bar what did Paul do? He jumped up and he says, I've got a message. And he stood up there and it was just like, mm, this is our open door. So verse. now we're just going to read. And this is, this is Paul reviewing history, chapter 16. And as he looks at history, and I know you probably didn't like history when you were in school. It was just names and places and numbers. But there is, a, there is something going on in history I want you to see. Look in verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hands, said, Men and brethren, men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Listen to me for just a moment here. Verse 17, the God of, of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought he them out of it. What are we talking about? The time when they were in Egypt and they became slaves and God honored them and brought them out. Verse 18, at about the time, uh, 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. He put up with them. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel, the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. Oh, they wanted to have a king like all the other nations. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, and God does sometimes have to remove wicked rulers. Amen. Sometimes it's a good thing to do. Here he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom he, also he, God, gave testimony and said, I found David, a man after my own heart. You ought to circle those words. 
which shall fulfill all my will. Ear, you know what history is? Did you ever hear this phrase? History is not just progress of time. It is his story. It is God's story working out a plan in the lives of people. And he reviews this history. And the history of Israel is the most important history to learn. I've learned a bit of Irish history. You haven't understood half of it. Wow. All right. Uh, I've, I've read American history. My favorite is Texan history. But when it comes to the most important history to learn, God gave you one book to learn real, purposeful history. History that has a start and has a goal and is working towards that goal. Because when you learn the history of Israel and you watch what Israel went through, it's your life following. I mean, it's absolutely breathtaking. Uh, they were saved by the blood of the lamb. They were fed with manna every day. God provided them. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Some I need to every day. They came out and God took them through the Red Sea as a picture of getting baptized, going under the water and coming out. They had already been saved. After that, they got baptized. When they were in the wilderness, they had to learn to trust God. What did they do instead? They complained. And God said, we're going to go around again until you learn to praise. And for 40 years, they went around. Then they came into the promised land. The promised land is not heaven. That promised land is a picture of the victorious Christian life where you're finally where you ought to be serving God and the will of God, and you're defeating every enemy. That history is our history. Don't just look at the Old Testament. Oh, there's just names and places. And numbers. No, it's his story working out our redemption. So. Paul then is going to focus on a climax. He's going to focus on what is super important. Look at verse 23. Remember, we talked about David there. And then Paul reminds them of the promise of this man's seed, of David's seed, his lineage. Hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a what? Wow. Now, if... If, if, uh, if I could put it in the vernacular. Now, he, who is he talking to? To the Jewish nation, Jewish people, unsaved people. And he says, God has given you a savior. But if I had a room full of just, just Irish, you know what I would say? God has raised unto Ireland a savior. You see, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. Every one of us need a savior. Now he starts with Israel for good reason, but he focuses on that promise. Watch what he says. Uh, verse 24, we'll read it again. Oh, sorry, now, we'll pick it up in verse 24. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. I'm not the Messiah. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to lose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, Whosoever among you feareth God, to you is, I love these phrase, the word of this salvation sent. He says to you, sitting here, at this moment in time, some good news has come. Words can save. Uh, how can words save anybody? Do you know words can actually save somebody? Let me give an example. Someone is unaware that a wood beam is swinging and about to hit, hit them. Now, normally when we're working in the background, working in the back here or whatever, you get Eric, you get the guys working there, big boards are swinging. And so somebody's just standing there looking at their phone, and the board is swinging real, aimed right at the back of the head of somebody. Are there any words that I could say that could save his neck? Duck! <laughs> words can save, can't they? How about somebody, they're driving along, and uh, they get a text, and so they're looking at their phone, and you're in the back, and you look up, and you go, keep your eyes on the road. Those are words. That's all I can do. I can't grab the wheel, but I can speak the words, and I can tell them, don't look at your phone. Drive. And that could save my neck, his neck, and all the people maybe that you crash into. Do you understand? Words can save. And we've been given a book that has given us warnings and right ways to live, and it can save a soul if you believe it. That is God's word to us. James 1.21 says, Receive with meekness, with hunger, with thirst, with humility, the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your souls. I'm preaching you with all my heart, but every one of these words must be taken like 
drops of water say, give me more, and they'll change your life. Um, the focus here, the focus here is on, on what God has done. All of those things he listed, God chose, God delivered, God exalted, God put up with us. God brought us into the promised land. God gave us judges. God then gave us kings. God took away bad kings. Notice, when you're reading the Bible, you know what you see? People, 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 people. Amen. But behind it, there's a God who's working everything out, and he's working everything out in your life too. If you are, I don't care whether you're saved or lost, God is at work. Isn't that refreshing? We're fatalists at heart. We believe, que sera, sera. We believe everything just happens, and it doesn't. You got to start to believe that there's a God in heaven who does hold control and he's working everything out for a good end and it will turn out good. All you got to do is just love him and let him let him lead. Uh, but let me let me notice something here. Did you notice? I'm not sure if I wrote down the verse here. Um, bum. Verse 26, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, whosoever among you that Feareth God to you is the word of this salvation sent. You know what? Salvation works only for those who, number one, know God. God can't save somebody who doesn't know him. That's why we've got to preach. That's why you use a gospel track to have somebody. Do you know there are 15-year-old kids in Balancholic who do not know who Jesus Christ is? How are they going to hear unless you stop and say, you need to read this? I don't, want to, I don't want to know that you went to hell. I'd like to know that you're going to be with me in heaven. They need somebody to tell them who Jesus is. They need somebody to open up their eyes, invite them to church, do something, because only those who know God and know of his son can be saved. And only those who fear him. There are too many people who go to church and do not fear God. So when they're in church, it's like, oh, I hope he gets over fast. And then they go back to living the way they've always lived all week long, and they do not fear stand before God as their judge. Those who, let me go back, I didn't finish it. And those who want to be saved. God doesn't save, doesn't force anybody to be saved. You got to want it. This is not a prearranged relationship God has. God says, I want you, will you want me? Salvation is open. But, you know, it'd be nice if you knew who he was, who his son is, that you feared him. And you'd run to him for salvation, and you'd want to be saved. Now, verse 27 picks up, and Paul says, i got to remind you about our own nation. He's talking to, Israel, uh, to Jews, verse 27, says, For they, and he's going back and talking about in Jerusalem, they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not. They didn't know Jesus, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled those prophecies in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, in Jesus, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. When they fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. Amen. Um, let me see how far I'm supposed to go. To 31. And when he had seen many days, and when he had been seen, Jesus had been seen many days of them which had came up with him, from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. Our own, our own nation crucified our Savior. They didn't understand who he was. They never heard the Bible. They never considered it. Right now, it's easy to stand there and let me talk. It's easy for you to just let somebody talk, but it's another thing where you actually take it in and you consider what's being said, and you let it sink down deep into your heart, and you let it affect you. These people would go through the motions. They were religious. And we know where religion takes people. It takes them into arrogance and pride to where one religion is greater than another. Jesus never taught us that, did he? What does Jesus teach us? We're nothing. We can give our lives. Our, our goal is to give our lives for our enemies. We're not the bee's knees. We're not trying to set up an empire, a kingdom. We're trying to get the world saved, not trying to get our own empire. So here, Paul says, they never paid attention to the Bible. They instead, they murdered him. The very Messiah of God. But that's okay. I like how God takes even our disasters and still resurrects 
still fixes things. It's okay because Jesus is back alive again. Now, I've read a lot over the last 20 years, and I've noticed a lot about people talking about history. And there's a great truth I want to teach you for just a moment. Bear with me for a second. A lot of countries have dark parts of their history that we'd be very ashamed to talk about. How does, how does Paul deal with a dark blotch on the history of Israel? Think about it. He exposed it. He understood it in light of God fulfilling a plan. And then he emphasizes grace. He doesn't say we should erase that. No, no, don't you ever erase the cross. Don't you ever erase what happened there because that gets my attention. You can talk to me all day long about laws and Sabbath and, and, and dietary rules and it'll never affect me like the cross did. But the cross was a blot on Israel's history. And when the world wants to remove all this history, we'll never learn from it. And we will repeat it, won't we, as, as people? No, have grace. Look back on it, it goes, that was awful. And yet God was in control. We need a lot of Christians back in government who back here can say, yep, that was a bad time. We did wrong and we're not going to do it again, but we're not erasing history like they're trying to do all over everywhere. Because we have some great news. Verse 32, Paul continues, we declare unto you glad tidings. You know what those two words are? The gospel. Glad tidings. Good news, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. What is the main focus of the, the preaching of Jesus? He's alive. Not that he blesses, not that he gives good gifts, not that he makes the world spin. That's not the big deal of Jesus. What's the big deal? He was dead and he's alive again. Uh no, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this, uh, let's see. Oh, I didn't finish verse 33. Um, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second Psalm, thou art, not was my son, but thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee, speaking of Jesus. And it's concerning that he had raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure, the unchanging mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thy holy one, thy Messiah, to see corruption, or else, or else we would say to rot and decay in a tomb. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell on sleep, sleep he died, and was laid, in his, uh, laid unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. He's decayed, and he's now bones. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Amen. You know what, Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he wasn't decaying. He was perfect, wasn't he? So it, the promise was that, number one, the scriptures that promised the bringing of a Savior promised to raise him again from the death. Even though God's own people crucified him, God said, it's okay, I promised that, I'd give you a savior. I also promise I'd bring him back again. You can't mess with the plan of God. You can't ruin it. You can skip out of it, but God's plan is going to go ahead anyway. You can't fail so bad that God can't fix it. Amen. Some of you should say amen. Then he talks about, this is the whole point of this whole sermon. He talks about the gift of God, and this is absolutely precious. Verse 38, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Remember that. And by him, all that believe are, second thing, justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Look at the, the gift of God is actually a, like a coin, if you ever pick up a coin, there are two sides to the coin. It's one thing, but it's got two amazing sides. The first side that is given there is the gift of the forgiveness of sins. What kind of sinners can God forgive? People who killed his son. He can forgive them. Wow. If you had a son and somebody murdered your son, would you be able to forgive them? Probably not. And yet God 
can forgive the people who murdered his son. So don't tell me. I, it's been a long time since I've heard somebody say this, but I've heard it where somebody said, I'm too far gone. God couldn't save me. Wow. God can go still lower. He can save anybody. He gives the forgiveness of sins. He, give, he forgives not good people, but the worst people. It is available through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not by the law of Moses. Forgiveness may not mean much to you, but when your wife has had enough of your shenanigans, gentlemen, when he, she is super angry at you and she is not only giving you the cold shoulder, but has given you the frying pan and the door, that is when you will desperately need forgiveness to have any kind of home life. Amen? That's when you know you'll need forgiveness. And when you have three traffic tickets and have to go to court and are facing losing your driver's license, that's when you'll seek forgiveness from the judge, won't you? You'll know how valuable it is if the judge declares forgiven. Wow. We don't value forgiveness like it's gold, but we ought to. The forgiveness of sins. I heard it explained this way. Somebody says, I don't believe in God's laws. Well, let's go by your own laws. Let's go by your own standards. Let's look at your conscience and see what you think is right and wrong. And let's judge you by that. Have you always kept that conscious list of rules? Let's look at the videotape. In heaven, we can do that. Let's find out if you really treated others like you want them to treat you. Let's see if you really were just nice to people. If you never hurt them. Let's see if you were really that good. And all of a sudden, one by one, by your own standard, you will know you have broken your own conscience and your own laws. You know you're a sinner. You know what you need? To be forgiven. But God does something even more marvelous than just forgiveness. He does something called justification. And he gives it away. To justify means to correct someone's criminal record. If I had a page here and I had, uh, I'll use Tom over here. Tom's got a list of crimes. Probably be four, five, 15 pages maybe. I don't know. Anyway, crimes. And he's going before the court. And he begs for forgiveness. And the court says forgiven. But who's going to pay for these crimes? And then the judge's son says, I'll pay. And as the judge's son goes off and is punished for Tom's criminal acts, you know what they do with that record? They blot it out. You can't read it anymore. Now, when people think of Tom and they go, I heard you did such and such, there's no record. It's not that he didn't do it. It's not that he's wicked and that he's not wicked, wrong, sinful, but that his, his record is gone. Isn't that amazing? He's been justified. You've been restored back to accepted. And that's what God offers. I think it's absolutely breathtaking because Jesus paid for both of those sides of the coin. Because it's easy to ask for forgiveness, isn't it? It's even easy to forgive. It's hard to forget. It's hard to actually remove the record. If you ever want to have a happy home, have a short memory. Pray for, what is that where you lose your memory? I'm losing it right now. Pray for a short memory. Because when you keep all the records of what your wife has said and all the records of what your wife has done and all the stupid things your preacher has said and all the things that your neighbor has done, you're cursed. God asks you to forgive and, yes, forget. By the grace of God. Not because they're good or worthy, but that's the gift that God gave you. Warning, look at verse 40, beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which was spoken of in the prophets, behold, ye despisers and wonder. Those of you who despise what I'm saying, I want you to be amazed, and then you'll perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. What a scary thing. Keep going. And when the Jews were going out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them. The next Sabbath, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. We'll come back in a moment. 
We keep going. During the next Sabbath came day, came almost the, the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with something. Something didn't click. It happened. Some of them took it seriously and others didn't pay attention. The warning was God's gift can be missed. He said, hey, pay attention. Because what's being spoken to you, though it's being spoken by a man, it is the work of God, and you may miss it. It's just like I thought of these guys who are riding on the bikes, and they're coming around a curve, and there's a, a lot of there's a crowd there, and they've got ice cold, clear, refreshing bottles of water. And here comes one of those bikers, and the person's holding out the bottle of water, and the biker says, "I can't be distracted. I can't be distracted," and just passes right on. And there's not another bottle for another ten miles. And there are people in this room who've come, and I'm holding out the water to you. I'm telling you, the water's available, the water of life. You can get saved today, and you'll just keep on going. You can miss it. You can skip it. It's not that it's not available. It's not that it's hard. You just put it off. You just put it off. Paul says, what I'm preaching and offering is a passing moment. And the opportunity to get forgiven and justified can be gone in just 10 minutes. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, I have heard of thee, I've heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee, I've helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And the gift of God is forfeited constantly. People have ignored, do you know, in, in most things, there's a use-by date. Have you noticed that? Yesterday morning, I went and I had my coffee. There's no milk. So I reached up and I got some cream. Oh, I like cream. I just don't try to drink it too often with cream because I love it too much. So I broke out the cream, opened up the top, put in the top, poured out the coffee, made another pot. I missed the date. It was too late. Okay, not unless you want yogurt. I don't know. <laughs> Folks, one of these days you're going to cry out, God, God, where are you? God, would you save me? God, I'm, now, I'm ready now. And it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Hebrews 2, 3 says, how should we escape damnation if we neglect so great salvation? You know what you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Just don't do anything. Just neglect it. At the end here, verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. They couldn't get enough of their teaching. Who, speaking to them, persuaded them they should continue in the law of God? No, in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day, after you talked about grace and the forgiveness of God and justification by grace, and you free, not one mention of baptism. Not one mention of being good. No, just Jesus. It says the whole, almost the entire city came together to hear the word of God. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken of by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming them. And then Paul and Barnabas, they waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves as unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. You know what's funny? It's as if he's saying, we're never going to talk to another Jew. He can't do that. Paul, all his life, keeps going back and witnessing to Jews because he knows I got to love them. He says, I wish I could go to hell so that they could get saved. He knows he can't, but he could wish it. Verse 47 For lo, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee, Jesus, to be a light. To the Gentiles, that's in Isaiah, that thou shouldest be for the salvation, not only to the ends of Jerusalem and Judea, but the ends of the earth. There was a great awakening. There was, there was an emphasis on the grace of God. I mean, what a church service. You know, you know how everybody came out? Because everybody that heard them went out and said, you need to come here of the grace of God. Do you know, we could double in size if everybody just went out and told people about the grace of God. Because I think people are tired of religion. Would you agree? So how about telling them there's somebody different than all the laws and all the expectations? Let me tell you, come to church and hear about Jesus. Almost the whole city came. 
But there was also uh, envy and rejection by unbelieving Jews. Paul and Barnabas didn't mind it. They accepted it. Matter of fact, they, they brushed the dust off their feet and they says, we'll go on. We're not even going to carry this event with us. We're not this memory. We're just going to go on and we're just going to enjoy the work of God. Because the Gentile believers were glad. I think that is so cool. They love the gospel. Now, let's show you a good verse here that's pretty misunderstood by most people. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord. Uh-oh. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, they believed. Ah, so only those who were forced to believe, believed. No. It just simply means they were commanded to believe. They were ordered to believe. The, 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 uh, the Gentiles were always second-class citizens in the eyes of the Jews. And so they, they, were, they, were, they were just always sitting there trying to be, become good Jews. And what Paul is doing, he says, no, you must be born again. Don't worry about being a Jew. Just be born again. You must be. And they were ordained. They were commanded to be saved. And they says, done. See, the, gent the, the Jews were very stubborn. They had 613 laws and they didn't want any more. Don't tell me I need to be born again. That's what Nicodemus was struggling with. And yet the Gentile says, if that's all I have to do, I'll do it. And they believed and they got saved and they enjoyed it. And they published it. Look at verse, uh, verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. That's cool. They couldn't keep their mouths shut. Hmm. Uh, anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> Some people can't keep their mouth shut. Well, why don't you say something that's worth hearing? Keep talking before the Lord. Then they got rid of um, uh, Paul and Barnabas, but who cares? Look in verse 52, or verse 51. Well, I better start in 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them out of their coasts, kicked them out. They, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they came to the next town, to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. You know what that's the reason? You know what you know what joy is comes from, and what the filling of the Holy Ghost comes from? Hearing the gospel, hearing this book preached, believing it. If there's no joy in your life, it's because you're not listening to it and just believing it. I've always wished I was a Pentecostal. I'm a Pentecostal at heart, but I'm not a Pentecostal in doctrine. But I do wish I could get saved again and again and again and again because it was good the first time, but I can't get saved again. So I got to enjoy the one I got. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Folks, believe in it. You know what else will bring joy? Getting in trouble for it. Getting It'd be wonderful if us Christians got in trouble for being Christians and not being jerks. Amen. It'll put joy in your sock. You'll just be, wow, it's great. And then one other thing gave them joy in the filling of the Holy Ghost, and that was holding on to grace through it all. Just trusting by dependency on God to give you everything you need. Not by you doing, but by you trusting. So where do we go with this thing? Number one, I ask you to start to learn and know Bible history. This book is a complete unit. Some people only read Matthew. Some people only read the Psalms. Some people only read Revelation. Read the whole book. No Bible history. You'll never know the wonder of grace unless you understand the righteousness of the law and how right it is. Look for an opportunity to preach, gentlemen. Some of you would be glad to go into a Catholic or a Protestant church. And if somebody says, would you like to give us a sermon? Boy, you'd love that. Some of you'd be great. Be, wow, this is my old church. I'd love to stand up and just give them the gospel. Would you do it in a synagogue? You need to be ready to do it anywhere. Mm. Pray for an opportunity to talk to anybody. I don't care whether they're Jew, Muslim, Irish, Texan. But boy. Never say, I'll do it to anybody but to a Jew. Never, ever say that. Folks, we have great news. And truly, I've done my best to preach it to you. Good news has come to you this morning. 
The same scriptures that promise a Messiah have given us a Messiah. And they killed him, yes, but God got him up. And now everyone needs to know, Jew and Gentile, they can be saved. And you know, it'd be nice if we started to enjoy being saved by the time Tuesday runs around. What's your joy level? That's why on Wednesday we come back here and get filled up again on Wednesday for Bible study and prayer. But boy, enjoy being saved and just seek to be full of Holy Spirit. In a moment, the devil gets you full of anger. In a moment, the devil gets you full of wicked thoughts. He's good at that. Wouldn't it be nice to be just full of the Holy Spirit? And lastly, to those of you, don't neglect what Jesus has done for you. You see, there's nothing more I can do, you can do, or any church or religion can do. Jesus has done it all. What he's waiting for you is to call upon him and ask him to save you. Trust that he paid the price so that you could be not only forgiven, but justified. Stand with me and let's bow in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's amazing to me, Lord, that you care about people who don't really care about you. You love people who hate you. And you went out of your way to allow people who hated you to murder your son and reject him. And yet you still offer them forgiveness. Who are we to think that we're any better? And that if Jesus had come to Ireland, that he would have been treated better. Lord, we are sinners. We are wicked, vile, lost, and on our way to hell without hope if we're not saved. And salvation is not, a, not an accomplishment. It's a gift. It's not something I attain to. It's something I just receive. And it changes my life. It changes my destiny. It changes the course of my history. It changes everything about me. And in this room, there are many people who have, have the proof of that change. And the grace of God has been at work in their life. And they, they yearn more than anything to become more and more like Jesus, not like Moses. Not like some saint or some prophet, but like Jesus. But in this room, there are going to be people who have never yet reached out and grabbed the water of life. And they're going to race right on by, going to head back into their cars, back to their homes, back to their lives. And this could be today be the last chance they could get saved. We have no guarantee of tomorrow, much less even three hours from now. Who would take that water of life? Who would accept the gift of God, which is eternal life? Is there anybody who would cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me? Lord, if somebody would cry that, you promise, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You'll even, there's not a fancy prayer. You'll even help them pray. You'll even help them just believe if they would want to. So, Father, with nobody looking around, Lord, Paul poured his heart out. Yeah, a lot of people rejected him, but a lot of people loved and responded and got saved and a church got started and got on fire because of grace. And the preaching of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the core of the gospel. And we need, whew, we need a good dose of it again. We need, a, mm, we need a revival. We need your blessing. And if anybody in this room has gotten saved, I pray they tell me. If they got questions, I pray they, they come talk to me. As we go for this baptism, may we rejoice. This is not a step to salvation. This is saying, I am saved and my, my steps now are governed by the word of God. I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Bless as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song.